Matthew chapter 12. Since uh, we have a lot of verses to cover, we got good time. You see that? We're, we're good. Look at that. Yeah, we're good. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. A lot of verses to cover tonight. But man, we get to look at Jesus. And uh, there's just nothing more exciting than watching our king move and watching how he acts and what he does. The book of Matthew we see depicting Jesus as king. We see it as a, it, it is a message to the Jews. Um, Jesus walking around in that day doing radical things. Um, healing people. I mean, we see him challenging the authorities. We see him, uh, I mean, just doing random things left and right. That's what I love about the Lord. I was even talking with a friend about this. A lot of times people think being a Christian is, is you have this big burden to carry. But what does Jesus say? Hey, my yoke is easy and my burden is what? Light. Light. And I like to think of Christianity in the same way that Jesus thought of it, in the same way that he was. You just do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He just walked around loving on people, ministering to people, going from place to place, preaching the word, talking about the gospel, just being Jesus. And that is what we are called to do as well, are we not? A lot of people think Christianity is, is a bunch of rules and regulations that you have to keep. It didn't look like Jesus was walking around with a big backpack on, a big burden of trying to keep all these rules and regulations. Did he keep the law? Yeah, because he loved God. That's what I found. The more that you love God, the more that you walk with him, the easier it is to keep his commands. He just gives really two. Love God and love people. That's it. Simple. We get to see him do that tonight. We'll see him just walk around, love and bless and encourage, confront, call out the Pharisees. Oh, it's going to be grand. Matthew chapter 12. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time. O oh Lord, you are beautiful. Your face is all we seek. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. We thank you for that. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for setting us free. Lord, you have done a great work in us. And it's all you. It's not us. It's nothing to do with us. It's you. And that's why we are forever thankful when we come here tonight expecting, longing, and desiring to see our lives changed radically. And so please have your way tonight in our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 12. Are you there? Starting in verse 1. Let's dive right in. It says, verse 1, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungry. And began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. Wow. Jesus was walking through a cornfield. Never seen that painting, huh? A wheat field. Some of your translations probably say. Walking through a cornfield. Interesting. And the disciples were what? Hungry. So what did they do? They ate something. Okay. Simple enough. Verse 2, But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Okay, so it's Sabbath day. It's Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom, by the way. 
Shabbat Shalom is something that the Jews say um, when Shabbat gets close. Um, Shabbat or Sabbath day is Friday night till Saturday night. Okay, so so this Friday, yeah, in Israel, Shabbat starts this Friday night. Every single Friday it starts right when the sun goes down. What does that mean, Josh? Everybody goes home. Nobody does anything. You have to buy your groceries from the store and everything because everything shuts down when the sun goes down. As soon as the sun goes down, all the stores are closed. Everything's closed. There's no walking around. There's no doing anything. You go home with your family. And so on Friday night when I was there in Israel, when I stayed there, I got to stay there for three months. Awesome. Hanging out. Just having a blast. That's what I did. Just had a blast. And uh, it's incredible. Um, on Friday night, we would go to our friend's house and we would just hang out and we'd have Shabbat, a Shabbat meal where um, they would bring out um, the juice and the bread and... Um, because they were Messianic Jews, uh, we would celebrate Jesus, but they do this whole, um, this whole ceremony. Um, I wish I could remember the prayer. Um, I, I, can't, I don't think I can remember it. The Lord's not bringing it to me. But one of the songs we would sing is, Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Asharat, Malachi Elyon, Mei Melech, Malach. Yeah, you like that, huh? <laughs> And so we would sing these chants, and there were Shabbat songs, and it was grand. It was a blast. And then all day Saturday, me and the guys, we'd jump in the car and go and just, you know, tour the, the city. But everybody else is inside just hanging out in their houses. It's like, it's this weird thing. Even though the majority of Jews in Israel are not religious in any way, they're not religious. Probably like 90%. They don't keep the law. They don't, do, they don't pray. They don't do any of those things. But for some reason... When Shabbat goes down, when Sabbath day happens, everything stops. All of a sudden, they're like obedient for just a little bit. This is the funny thing, though. As soon as the sun goes down Saturday night, guess what they do? They all go out and party like nobody's business. I mean, they trash Israel. I mean, they just go nuts on Saturday night. And, yeah, they just party their brains out on Saturday night. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that interesting? You go home. You, like, keep the law. You don't do anything. You stay at home. On, on Sabbath day, you're supposed to rest. So they go home and rest, and then as soon as it's over, they just break as many rules and regulations as they can. Oh, man. This is classic. So it, it's Shabbat day. It's Friday night, or it's probably Saturday morning um, in Jesus' day. And uh, they're walking around, and the disciples are hungry. And so they, they pick something to eat from the field. And the Pharisees call them out. I'm like, dude, you can't do that. It's not lawful to, to harvest on the Sabbath, which is true. You're not supposed to take something on the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to harvest it for profit. But the Bible does say clearly in Deuteronomy 23 that what? That if, if you're hungry and you're wandering through a field, even on Sabbath, you can pick from it and eat. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? The Lord kind of uh, made some kind of way for homeless people to be able to eat or people who are traveling um, your fields. So if all of us had fields in here, we're all farmers, right? If we had fields, hey, any time during the day, if somebody was hungry, they, they could pick off of the... Uh, off of the edges of our fields. They could just come by and just pick something off, just like some of you do with the orange trees. I know you. You pull over to the side of the road, and you just pick a couple, and you, you eat the, you run off. You know, I know, it's okay. It's okay. You, yeah, it, it was okay. That, that was part of the law in Deuteronomy 23, okay? And so, Deuteronomy 23, 25, I believe it is, uh, reference in my Bible. But the Pharisees, once again, are quoting the law incorrectly. You ever seen a Christian do that? You ever seen somebody, just anyone do that out on the street? 
Like you come up and you start telling them the gospel. And they're like, hey, judge not lest you be judged. It's like, you, you ignorant fool. You don't know the scriptures. You're just quoting something out of nowhere. You have no idea what the context of that is or where it's even found in the Bible. Just making something up. And I guarantee the Pharisees were doing something in the same way. They may have even knew the scripture. Well, they're misquoting because we know that you can glean off of a field. For Deuteronomy 23 tells us that. They didn't know the Bible correctly. They did not know Torah correctly. These Pharisees were trying to call out the one who wrote the Torah. Big mistake, buddy. Big mistake. And the Lord corrects him right here in verse 3. He says, be said unto him, have you not read what David did when he was a hunger, when he was hungry? And they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. Did you hear that? Verse 4. He says, Jesus like, hey guys, hey Pharisees, listen up. Did you not read in the Torah? Did you not read in the Old Testament where David and his men were hungry? And David said, go to the tabernacle, go to where the priests are at. And if you didn't know, every single week, 12 loaves of bread were made and put on the table of showbread in the tabernacle. What's the tabernacle? It's the tent where the priests would go in and meet with God. So in that tent, in that place, there was 12 loaves of bread. Wonder bread? Maybe. Sarah Lee? Possibly. I don't know. Um, but they had bread in the tabernacle and there on the showbread table. And so David and his boys, David was like, go, go to the priest and take the bread so they, because they were hungry. They're starving. And God permitted it. God let these men go in and do that. He did not strike them down. And so, so Jesus is like, you don't even know the Old Testament, man. Don't you remember when David went in because they were hungry, they ate of something. It's like, you're trying to get upset at my boys because they're hungry and they picked um, from, you know, from the cornfields to eat something. This is ridiculous. You don't even know the law. You're just trying to cause issues, Jesus is getting at. And then he goes on and even makes one more point. He says, or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. How do the priests profane the Sabbath? You don't want to know what they do on the Sabbath, on Shabbat, the day they're supposed to be resting? By instruction of the Levitical law, the priests have to work twice as hard on Sabbath. They work twice as hard on Sabbath. Why? What would they be doing um, on Sabbath that would make them work so hard? They're doing sacrifices for the people. The people are bringing their offerings and offerings up to God. What do, the, what do the priests have to do? You know how difficult it is to slaughter an animal? To sacrifice unto the Lord? Man, go try to slaughter a cow with a knife. I mean, what do you, what do you, you gotta, I mean, you slit a throat. I mean, you gotta cut this thing up. I mean, you gotta do all, put it on the, on the, um, the altar and burn it up. I mean, there's a whole slew of things that have to happen every single time an animal is sacrificed. So the priests, I mean, they're in their garments. You think of a priest like as this holy Solomon. Oh, 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 yeah. Now these guys, I mean, they got their garments on, they're doing their thing, but there's probably blood all over them. I mean, they look like butchers, you know, because they're, they're sacrificing for the people so they can be atoned for, or at least covered uh, for a small moment. But that's what the priests are doing. So Jesus calls out the Pharisees again, like, again, you don't understand. Did, did not the Pharisees work twice as hard on Shabbat? You want to call somebody out for working and picking off some corn? Ooh, he worked. Ooh, he, he really broke a sweat doing that. He shouldn't do that. Jesus calls him out. 
And then he says in verse 6, But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. (laughs) Can you believe this? Jesus is talking to the guys who are part of the temple and run the temple. And you know what he just said to him? He said, hey, you guys, you know the temple, the holy place where God, there is one standing in your midst, wink, wink, nod, nod, who is greater than the temple. What do you think about that? I mean, I'm surprised they didn't take up rocks and just try to stone them right there on the spot. Jesus, boldface, called these guys out. And then in verse 7 it says, but if you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath day. So Jesus is like, look, I am, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, I'm greater than the temple. I'm the Lord over the Sabbath. And you guys just did something you should have never done. You just dug yourself a big hole. For God desires mercy over sacrifice. God desires love and compassion over a bunch of works. That's what he's saying. And isn't that how it works sometimes? The law can be set up even within the church where a standard is set. Bam. This is the law. No one's to break these rules. But what we must understand is these these laws and rules are set there for a a purpose. But hey, if someone's in need, you've got to help them and take care of them. It's like, I mean, we have people come in. I had a couple come in um, just this last week and they were hurting for money. And um, they're struggling with their bills, and they haven't even been uh, disciplined into saving their money. The mother, um, she'd been on disability for the last year, and she hadn't been looking for another job um, in any way that she could do to make money. And so she got off disability, and now for two months, she hasn't had any money to pay her bills. She just has two bills, water bill and a cell phone bill. And um, she wanted the church to come in and maybe help her if they could. And I started analyzing the situation, and I recognized that she failed. She basically failed miserably. She's not being disciplined. No wonder you don't have money in the bank because you don't spend it right. You're spending it on all kinds of things. Where is the money going? Where is all the money from last year when you only have two bills? And so she wasn't diligent with her money, but guess what? The rule and the standard may be, you know what? Um, you know what? Because you haven't been diligent, we can't help you here at the church. And if you and if you would be more diligent, you're doing rightly, and you still got, and then you got into a situation we would help you. Maybe that's the rule or the standard per se. But because mercy abounds and grace abounds, what do we say? Hey, you know it because your son, her son who's there with her, is faithful to the church. He's an usher, and he ministers week after week. He's been faithful for six years ministering. We say, what you know what? We're going to pay your bills, and so we did. We wrote her a check right there for her water bill and for her cell phone bill, and we took care of that. And it was a blessing for me to see in action the church taking care of people. We got to show mercy on this lady and help her out. But God doesn't desire these rules and regulations over mercy and compassion. To keep the law, would you let someone starve and go hungry? No, you're going to starve because this is the law. It's ridiculous. That's not the way God works. And Jesus goes on even to give one more illustration Look at verse 9. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? So they follow him over to the synagogue. I could see him. 
They had just had this confrontation with Jesus about the cornfields, and they're just like, mm, you know, like, and all of a sudden the disciples walk off, and Jesus walks off, and they start going to the temple, but, but they watch Jesus and the disciples from far away, right? And, they kind of, and then they start talking to him, and say, he's going to go over to the synagogue. Let's go, let's go follow him over there. We're going to get him. So they follow him into the temple, and like, we got it. We got a great idea. Jesus is going to see that man, because we hear about him trying to heal people all the time. Jesus is going to see that man laying there who's hurt or his hand that's crippled. We're going to call him out. We're going to try to catch him again, and look what happens. He said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And verse 11, he said unto them, what man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath day, will he not hold on it and lift it out? This is awesome. Jesus is brilliant. He has more wisdom than any man. He is the living God incarnate looking these men in the face and they think they're going to outsmart him. Only if they knew who he was, huh? It's, it's like trying to get into a fight with like a UFC fighter or something like that. It's like you made a big mistake. It's like sitting down at the park to play chess with some guy and uh, he's actually the best in the world, and you didn't know it. And he's just like, you know, I played a couple times. You know, you want to bet 100 bucks? And you're like, I've been practicing at home on my computer, man. I'm, uh, I'm ready to go. You sit down, the guy just smashes you, you know? And th- I mean, that's what's going on here. I mean, they're trying to capture and accuse the living God. You can't do this. And this is what Jesus says. Isn't this so clever? Perfect wisdom for the situation. He says, hey, guys, they're like, should you heal on the Sabbath? That's wrong. You should, should you really heal on the Sabbath? I know this is a good thing. Jesus is like, well, let me ask you this question. If, if you're out there in the fields and, you're, and you're, one of your sheep falls into a hole, into a pit, and it's a Sabbath day, it's crying and it's going to stay in there. If it stays in there, it's going to die. What do you do? Should you go take it out or should you leave it there to die? Dun, dun, dun. The Lord catches them. Of course, you go in and help the animal out. Of course, any shepherd, any farmer, any man who sees his animal fall in is going to run over there and do that. And so what does Jesus say? He turns it around on him and he says this in verse 12. How much, how much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, is it lawful to do well on the Sabbath day? He said it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's a good thing to do good on the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees had it all mixed up, and a lot of people do in this day and age. They think that all these rules and regulations that God puts on people are to kind of ruin their day and snatch their fun. What is the Sabbath day for? You know what it's for? God recognizes that you're busy all week long and that you need to set apart a day of rest where you, where you stop doing all this busyness and you find you'll be overwhelmed. If you go seven days a week, you're going to be trashed. He made the human body. He knows the mind. God knows all things. And he says, this is a good thing for you. Sabbath was made for man. It wasn't made for God. The Sabbath wasn't made so God could say, I got something to hold you to again. I, yeah, I want more rules on you, and I want to mess your life up. I want to stop you from all things. No, no. God is saying, God is saying and recognizes man cannot work seven days. He'll be, exa- he'll be burnt out. He needs to rest a full day. And so God establishes a law, but what do the religious people do? They take it to the extreme and they say, you have to, hey, hey, don't do anything at your house. It's like, well, this is my day of rest. I want to go surf. Yeah, you can't surf. You can't surf because that's working your muscles out. And, 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 that, and that's breaking a sweat and that's not good. No, you can't do that. It's like, this is, this is my day of rest. This is what I want to do. So I want to relax and, 
Invent. No, you can't do that because you're not supposed to be doing anything that would cause you to work. It's like, no, you're missing the whole point. The whole purpose of Shabbat, the whole purpose of the Sabbath is so that you can have a free day to rest. And family, it is important to have that in your life. It is crucial to have that in your life. Yeah, absolutely crucial. Really? Yes. I would encourage every single one of you to set aside a day. I don't know what day it is for you. It doesn't, again, it's not a special day that you have to hold to and you can't do any other day because this is a day and this is the only day. And it almost becomes a burden to you now. It's like, oh, I can only do this one day. So great. You know, I have to work my schedule around and make sure I do it on this day. It's like, no, you're missing it again. This is supposed to be something that relaxes and opens up your day and gives you satisfaction. And so, hey, if it's Monday this week and Tuesday next week and Wednesday the next week and Saturday the other week, fine. For me and my schedule, it just so happens to be Saturday. Just so happens to be Saturday. And so on that day, I try as much as I can to take a break from everything. No ministry. No working. No anything that's going to make me feel weary. And I try as much as I possibly can to rest and to let it be a day with just me and the Lord just hanging out, just having a blast, just relaxing with the friends and just goofing off. And so we must understand what Shabbat is all about and the purpose for it. The Pharisees were trying to put a law on these people and trying to make them feel bad because they were doing things that were good. This happens in the church as well. Be careful. If the Bible doesn't say it, be careful to push it upon someone. Careful. It's legalism. So look what Jesus does just to even smash it more in their face. Isn't this awesome? Look what he does after he calls them out, serves them a dish, and letting them know what the truth is. What does he do? Look at verse 13. Then he said to the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like the other. Jesus calls him out and says, you guys have no clue. Hey, if a sheep falls into a hole, you're going to help it? Yeah. How much more is a man worth than a sheep? Well, sheep, yeah, man's worth way more, so he should be healed. And then Jesus looks at the man and says, stretch forth your hand. And isn't it amazing? Look at the man's faith. He just listens just right there on the spot. He stretches forth his hand, and it's brand new. Are those kind of things happening today? Yes, I believe so. I believe so. Have I ever seen anything happen in my own life? Have I ever done anything like that? It's never happened. And this is an issue that I've actually, I think I'm going to start taking to the Lord soon because as I'm reading the New Testament, I just see Jesus doing it more and more and more. And I wonder why um, it's not happening more and more. And so I'm going to go and ask the Lord uh, for the authority to be able to do miracles so that he can receive glory. I think it's important uh, that we walk as Jesus did and do those things. Is that the main focus? Absolutely not. The gospel is the main focus and the cross is. But this is something that we see happening and I believe God wants to do that in our day. Why? So he can be glorified. So people would see the good works and glorify their father. Every single time Jesus engages, you see him over and over. He, he's, he heals everyone that comes to him. It's amazing. Look at verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. Look at that. They want to kill him because he did good. Isn't that the world for you? You want to do good and they want to kill you for it. 
They get so upset and so angry for it. Like at work, you've probably experienced it. You're trying to do the right thing and everybody gets all ticked off at you because you're trying to do the right thing. Dude, what are you trying to do? Make us look bad? Uh, no. I'm not trying to make you look bad. You're trying to make you look bad. What, what's the requirement of the job? Should you show up on time? Yeah. Well, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. Leave me alone, man. If you want to ruin your job, ruin it. But I'm not going to go down with you. And people are going to want to destroy you because you do good, even in your house, your family. Going to get upset with you because you desire to go to church all the time. How do you combat it? You just love them. You just dump love all over their head. What do you think about that? Here you go. Here you go. Just there. Taste that. Just love on them. Minister to them. Mm, love that. Yeah, my buddy was uh, it's funny. <laughs> I was working out with him in the gym just uh, last night, the night before last, I can't remember. Anyways, he was telling me about this girl who was in the gym. He was using a certain, uh, one of those medicine balls, you know, to like, you know, throw it around and work out with. Well, he was using it to work out and this girl walks up and she's like, are you using that? He's like, yeah. It's like, huh? Like she was so blown away that he said, yeah, I'm using that. And he said no to her that she couldn't use it because she was an attractive girl. And she kind of just gave him the dirtiest look like, you know, you're going to deny me of this. Do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm a pretty girl and I just walked up to you and asked for the medicine ball. I mean, every other guy in the world gives me the medicine ball. This godly man just looked me in the face. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm using it. Yeah, sorry. So she storms off. He didn't do anything wrong. But guess what happened? When he was done using it, he walks it all the way over to her. And he gives it to her. He sets it down next to her. He's like, hey, uh, I'm done with it. Here you go. And then walks away. See, she was probably thinking... Oh, he's, I see him. Oh, here he comes. He's bringing the medicine ball over. Oh, I know what he wants. He wants to get into a conversation. Yeah, that's what he wants. He wants to apologize, you know, for, uh, you know, not let me use the ball. No, I just walked over, just gave it to her and walked away. Just poured love upon her head, huh? I bet she just hated that. But man, isn't it a bummer that people hate good? Isn't that our culture and society? We are starting to hate what is good. And love what is evil. You know, see, my Range Rover's been in the shop for a couple weeks now. I got an accident. Somebody hit me in the back on the freeway. And since I've had this rent-a-car, I normally have like, I have the six discs in there. And so I have these CDs rotating that I always listen to. And I only listen to like one or two stations on the radio. But since I've been in this car, I don't have my CDs. And uh, I just don't get to, it's difficult sometimes to pull out the iPod and get the whole thing programmed and working. And so... I, I have the radio on. I just can't believe what I hear. I can't believe what is on the radio these days. And then my buddy was telling me again at the gym about this music video that he saw. It was, it was some song that he had, uh, he had heard and it sounded pretty cool to some commercial. Oh, some guy had done something on YouTube and you know, mapped out this song to it. And it was a really cool video. Anyways, well, he went to go check out the music video for this thing to see what it was about. He's like, you know, let's check it out, see what's cool. No, it's these girls walking around, basically half or more naked, 
and and dancing around doing this crazy stuff. And this is MTV. I mean, it's like I was I was shocked. I'm like, I must be so out of it these days because I just had no clue. I can't I can't believe that's happening in this day and that there's 12-year-old girls, I'm sure, at their house when they come home from school at 3 o'clock, like I used to do, click on MTV and just start watching and watch all the different things that go on there and all the music videos just to be up with the music and everything that's happening. And they're just throwing this in these girls' face. And what do they think to themselves? I have to be like that. Well, look at all those guys and look at how cool that is to be a part of that. And you, Man, that, that, wow. And so all of a sudden they feel the need to start moving in that direction. You know how naive the young girls are? Many of you girls have been there. You got trapped it in yourself and you say, man, I wish I would have known. I wish somebody would have spoken in my life. Girls, that's your rule and that's your calling. Speak into these young girls' lives. Grab them by the hand and show them the truth. Go to your church and find some young girls and pour into them. You know they look up to you. You know they would love to go shopping with you and just hang out with you and get some ice cream with you or something. I mean, they would love. And you can sit there and pour into them. Same thing for the brothers. Our society is starting to love what is evil and hate what is good. And they hated Jesus and they even wanted to kill him because he did good. And that's sad. But that's what's happening. That's reality. Look at verse 15. But when Jesus knew it, look at this. They wanted to kill him and guess what? Jesus what? He knew it. Because he knows all things. He withdrew himself from thence. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. What a great king. He starts to walk away because he knew that these guys wanted to kill him, and all the people start following him. So what does he do? Ah, uh, but I just heal them all. I'm just going to heal them all. So he did. He just started healing everybody. <laughs> and he charged them that they know not make him known. They say, He says, don't tell anybody about me. Don't tell everyone what's going on. That it might be fulfilled and spoken in Isaiah the prophet saying, behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. Interesting. He's going to do great things, but he's going to be meek and humble about it. Hey, when we do something good, we want everybody to know, huh? We love to talk about it. And you notice some preachers on TV, man, they they just want to declare as much as they possibly can about what they've done and what's going on so that they can get more money and receive more. What did Jesus do? He ran from the multitudes. Don't tell anybody about this. And it says there in verse 20, A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. That was written in Isaiah. In his name shall the Gentiles trust. You know who that is? That's us. In his name will the Gentiles trust. We are the Gentiles. We are trusting in Jesus. Look at verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with what? A devil, a demon, blind and dumb. He healed him just like that. Isn't that weird? Like you, you think that the, the healing, it must have been something crazier than that. When you read it right there, it just goes by so fast. Can you imagine someone being demon-possessed, Walk even they just walked into this room right now. Demon-possessed, they are deaf and, no, blind and dumb. Is that what it says? Yeah, blind and dumb. They walk in blind and dumb. Can't see, 
And so they're just walking in all crazy. I mean, just there's a demon in them, so I'm sure they're just going crazy. And then they're dumb too. There's no understanding. So they're just completely lost. Have no sense of direction. Walking up. And all of a sudden, Jesus what? Jesus just healed them right there on the spot. And so much that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. This man immediately saw and started to speak. That's amazing. We can, we can move over these miracles so fast like it's no big deal because you're just reading. But, but what if that happened tonight? I mean, what if somebody came come in, they're, they're deaf, they're blind, they're dumb, and I just say in the name of Jesus be healed, boom. And all of a sudden it's just like they start talking. They can see all of a sudden. I mean, you guys would go telling. I mean, it would just be the craziest thing. You, you go home, you, you never believe what just happened. It would blow you away. Jesus was doing this all the time. It says in verse 23 that all that all the people were amazed and saw and said, "Is this not the son of David?" But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, "This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils." Oh my gosh. You foolish Pharisees again. Isn't this funny? This amazing thing happens. This guy is set free. He he's, he's was blind. Now he can see. He was dumb. He was mute. He couldn't speak. And all of a sudden, he starts speaking. And then everybody's like, oh, my gosh, it's amazing. Look what This has got to be the son of David. And what do the Pharisees do? They, they're losing the spotlight. They're losing you know, the fame. The Pharisees were the religious. Those are the ones that people look to for counsel and for, for God. And what happens? All of a sudden, they're like, this, this man is the son of David. He casts out those demons by the devil. It's the most illogical thing I've ever heard in my life. And Jesus even calls it out just like that. Powerful things were happening. The people were seeing. And someone always wants to come in and disrupt and destroy. He says he casts out demons by Satan. He casts out demons by Satan. You see... Jesus was getting some kind of supernatural power from somewhere and they couldn't explain it. They couldn't say it was from God because then everybody would know that he's the Messiah. And so what did they have to do? They had to find another power. There's only one other choice. And so they say it was from the devil. Yeah, good things are happening because of the devil. I mean, I'm sure, I wonder if the Jews just kind of looked over and just like, are you talking? Did you just say that? I mean, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And Jesus probably looked over too. He's just like, okay. He says this, verse 25, And Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Jesus uses logic and reason, man. He just throws it down. He's like, okay, isn't Satan and demons in the same camp? Okay. What if me and you were in the same army on the same team? What if I walked up and tried to attack you? What if we we're on the battlefield? We're fighting against people. People are dying. And all of a sudden, I turn around and try to shoot at you. It's like, aren't we on the same team? Why would that even happen? Why would you even think to start doing that? It doesn't make any sense. 
It's like, can a kingdom be divided against itself? Of course not. It'll fall. So for you to say that Satan is casting out his own demons, would, it makes no sense whatsoever. In verse 27, if Beelzebub casts out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. Your children, yeah, people were doing all kinds of other sorceries and all kinds of other wicked things in that day. And Jesus calls those out too. He says, let they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils, verse 28, by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come upon you. So, so Jesus turns the whole thing around on them, calls them out, accuses their people, and then he says, but listen up. If I don't cast out in the name of Satan, which I can't do, it's impossible, but if I am actually casting out in the name of God, then the kingdom of God is among you. It's happening right now. Great things are happening. The Messiah is here. Verse 29, or else how can one enter into a strong man's house, spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me, and he that is gathered not with me is scattered abroad. A famous statement here, he who is not for me is against me. And who is not with me will scatter. This is true. This is something that all Christians need to know and discover in their lives is we are either hot or cold. Did you know that? Um, well, what if I'm lukewarm? Well, then you're, uh, you're, you're still in the same place as the cold person. You're in the same boat. The only difference is you think that you're godly, but you're really not. And that's even a scarier place to be in. You're either for Jesus or against him. The scary thing is, is this. There are many people in the world who say that they're for Jesus, but they don't even know that they're actually against him. How, Josh? Because they profess with their mouths that they know him, yet they live contrary to him. That's impossible. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter how much you say till you're blue in the face that you know God. If you do not walk with him and obey his commands, you don't know him. Jesus said you could only be my disciple if you obey my commands. You can only be my friend if you obey my commands. There are many people walking around saying that they know God. And the sad thing is they don't. Listen, family. Again, the scariest place to be in is if you are coming into this place week after week and you actually think you have a relationship with God because you come to this study, because you bring a Bible, because you even pray. But in reality, you don't know God. And God will look at you on that day and say, depart from me, I never knew you. You just did a bunch of things. You never, ever bowed the knee to me fully. You did the religious thing. You, you had as much faith as the demons have but you live completely contrary to my ways. How can you say you know God? And so you would either be hot, on fire for God, walking with God, or cold. Jesus said, I'd rather you be one or the other. Because at least when you're cold, you know that you're not walking with God. When you're lukewarm, you don't even know you're not walking with God. You think you are. 
I've de- I deceived myself in that. Did you know that? Yeah. Probably the first 17 years of my life, I think if I would have died, I would have went to hell. You want to know why? Because my dad took me to church every week. Because I had a Bible. My grandma gave me. Because I prayed. I went to Sunday school every week. I did all the things that church people do. But I never submitted myself to God. It wasn't until I was 17 that I said, God, I give you all of my life. And I will live for you forever. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm done with my life. And that is when I was set free. But it wasn't until then. And so I'm telling you this as a warning. I would much rather tell you that you're going to hell and that you'll burn for eternity if you don't turn to Christ and you actually end up being saved one day than for me to tell you that you're going to heaven and then you end up in hell and you look God in the face and say, but Josh Thompson told me I was going to heaven. It's a serious matter. It's nothing to mess around with. Jesus said, if you're not with him, you're against him. If you're not with him, you are against him. There's no such thing as being cool with Jesus. Verse 31, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blaspheme shall be forgiven unto men, but the blaspheme against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. (coughs) And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven of him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven of him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. All of a sudden, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is brought up with these Pharisees. He calls them out and he's like, look, you could, you could be not have the Spirit of God in you. You could be turning away even from the things that you're seeing Jesus do. What do you mean? Yeah, you could come into the church. You could say Jesus is the Lord, but you could be living contrary and God would still forgive you of that. Even though you'd walked away from Jesus all the days of your life. But listen to this. This is what is not forgiven. There is only one sin that will never be forgiven if you commit this sin. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, what does it mean to do that? It's when the Spirit of God is knocking on your heart and you choose to turn away from it when He is calling you. And you never turn to the Spirit. You blaspheme the Spirit by rejecting His call. He calls to you and you die rejecting His Spirit. The only way to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to die rejecting Jesus Christ. That is the sin that God will hold against you when you get to heaven. But if there's one sin that you've committed, there's one sin that I hold against you, and this one is this, that you rejected the Spirit that was calling you to be forgiven of all of your sins. And so now, you have to face judgment for all of your sins because you rejected my Spirit when I was calling you. Jesus is calling these guys right now, isn't he? The Spirit of God is speaking to these Pharisees right now in the moment. And they're what? Suppressing the truth. They're not listening. Verse 33, it says, Either make the good tree and his fruit good, or else make... You know what? I I should probably approach this um, because it's it's an issue before I go into that. Uh, Many times Christians will come up to me or people who walk with God will come up to me and say, Man, I'm, I'm scared. I think I might have committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. No, you didn't. If you're concerned that you probably committed it, you didn't. Um, You absolutely did not. The only way to do that is by dying and rejecting Christ. Now, 
if you fall away from God, if you walk with God for five years and you fall away, and then you, you, you live for another 20 years and you die and you never turn back to God, how could I possibly say that you knew Christ? How can I say that? I don't care if you walk with God for 10 years and then you turn away for 30 years. How could I possibly say that you knew God and you weren't just doing a religious thing for 10 years? Because there was fruit in my life. It's true. But the Bible says very clearly that the one who is saved is to work out their salvation with fear and trembling all the days of their life. Does that mean that a Christian won't stumble? No. You will stumble and you will walk through life trying to make it work, but this will never happen. You will never turn your face from God and you will never desire to stop seeking God with all of your heart. That is a sign of a true regenerate spirit. Your heart, you have a brand new heart. You have a brand new desire to seek God with all of your heart. And that's a scary thing. Because Jesus gave the parable of the sower, remember? He said the seed goes out to four people and they all call me Lord. But what happens? Three of them don't ever turn to me. They end, something ends up happening and they turn from me. The cares of the world come, sin comes in, something happens, and they stop following me. And those three that heard the word, even called me Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's crazy. If I was to just do it by sheer numbers here in this room, if we were just to take that parable and if I could apply it somehow perfectly in this room, that means that three-fourths of you would not make it into the kingdom of heaven. Because you call Jesus Lord in your heart. Yet the question is, is this seed being planted deep within your soul to such a point that it will take root and we will see fruit in your life for the next 30, 40, 50 years? That's the question. I think it's difficult to even tell. I believe that I'm saved. I believe that I know God and I walk with God and I'm going to keep walking with God, but I'm going to repent every day for the rest of my life just to be sure in Jesus' name because I ain't fallen away from God. And I believe that if it just seems in my own heart, anytime I try to turn from God, he just snatches me and grabs me. What are you doing? And I believe that these are true signs of the Spirit of God living within you. If you feel like you could just walk away from God today and it would just mean nothing to you, I don't know if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Careful. Look at verse 33. It says, either make the tree good or is fruit bad. Or, I'm sorry, is fruit good? Or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. Huh? A person is known by what they do. You can say all you want that you know God, Pharisee. I, I am a Pharisee of Pharisee. I'm a Sadducee of Sadducee, Paul would say. Huh? Saul, I should say. He was Saul. And then he came in contact with Jesus and he recognized, I got nothing. And so you could talk all day long and you can say you're a Christian as much as you want. But God doesn't measure that. God looks at your life, and, and, and more importantly, God looks at your heart and your faith. But what does man look at? He looks at your works. So if you go to work saying you're a Christian, but you live opposite, what do the people at work tell you? You're not a Christian. You don't live like it. What are you talking about? When I come in, with a con when I come in contact with a Christian who doesn't live like a Christian, oh, man. It's like, oh, you're a Christian? Oh, yeah. But you're going to party this weekend? Well, yeah, man. Christian's party. Wait a minute. You're not a Christian, and don't call yourself a Christian ever again. Because Christians don't do that. 
Christians don't desire the things of the world. They have a new, they had a heart of stone and they've been given a heart of flesh now. They desire the things of God. I'm not saying that a Christian doesn't fall or hasn't gone to a party and hasn't done this. That's me, okay? I've been there. I've messed up. I've done wicked things. But I will never stop seeking God till the day that I die. And I will not live in a sinful lifestyle. I will not continue in sin. I will be convicted and I must change. Do whatever it takes to make the change. Jesus says, look at the tree. Remember the trees in my backyard at my house? We used to garden a lot. Yeah, me and my brothers, uh uh-huh. Grandma would teach us to plant trees and garden and do all this stuff. It was great. I'm so happy we got to do it. She would make us go pick all the bad fruit off the trees. We'd throw it in this giant pit that we had in the backyard. It was awesome. Giant pit. It's like maggots in there and bugs and all this stuff. It was so cool. And we would go in there, and yeah, we would pick all the bad fruit off the tree, and we'd throw it in there. So I'm familiar with that. I mean, you can see bad fruit very clearly. You can look at a tree and tell if it's doing bad. I don't know if you know this. You can tell when a tree gets sick. Um, when it's hurting, when it's dying, when it's, it starts wilting. Yeah, you can see bumps all over it. You can see, I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen. There's a, definitely a way to tell and to look into a person's life and see if things are good. I look into your life. You look like you're saved. I hope you're saved. Keep walking like that. Keep living like you're saved. If you have that assurance of salvation, then live like it. That's it. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. And so he says to him, here it goes. Oh, man. Verse 34. He lights them up. You Pharisees. Oh, generation of vipers. He says, you snakes. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yep. You want to tell where a person's heart at? Just listen to what they talk about all day long. You want to find out where your heart's at? Look at your mouth. Watch your mouth. You can tell really quick where your heart's at. That's how you tell. That's how you analyze it. A good man, verse 35, out of the good treasure of the heart, bring forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bring forth evil things. Okay? Man, I like to listen to AM talk radio. I like to AM, uh, AM 640. But man, they are just so crude sometimes. It just really gets under my skin. I mean, it's amazing how easily these wicked things can just roll off their lips. I mean, it just really bugs me. I mean, I like listening to the news and the controversy and kind of just being up to date with the times and all that's going on and just seeing how... Um, the conservatives or, you know, just just all kinds of things. I like the news, okay? Just being up to date with going on in society so we're not these Christians that don't know anything. We're, we're all hidden over in a corner and we turn on the light every once in a while, you know, and then we turn it off real quick so nobody sees us. I mean, it's like we need to be up to date with society um, and do it in the best way that you can. I mean, but listen to these guys, the wickedness that rolls out of their mouths. I just can't believe it. The sad thing is, is if you listen to the radio all the time and you can't recognize that. Just like, oh man, I just listen to it all the time. One guy was driving down the street just two days ago. I was, I was sitting there about to pull into the church and this guy is bumping this old school song that I used to listen to and I knew all the lyrics. And there was like six or seven cuss words in, in, in about 10 seconds. And as soon as I heard that beat, I, just, I was brought back and I could just see it and I could hear it and I literally within myself started quoting the lyrics. And all of a sudden, in an instant, I recognized how wicked I was. I recognized how much 
My heart used to desire those things, quote those things, and wrap those things with authority. I mean, I just loved it. I mean, it, just, it, it was such a, a joy for me to have those things in me. And then the purity of my soul hit with the wickedness of that song when it hit my ears, and it was like a war going on. I couldn't believe it. Like, was I really this wicked? Was my mind really dwelling on those things and loving it and enjoying those beats? How could I do that? And when you have a white glove on, it's easy to see when something's dirty. But hey, when your glove's dirty, and your life is dirty and something dirty comes along, you have no clue. Analyze your own heart. Watch your spirit and see where you're at. I don't care. Let me say this last thing and we'll move on. If I miss out on all Grammy Awards and MTV Music Awards and all these things at the cost of keeping my mind pure and focused, and I am out of touch with society to a certain degree because I don't know the latest song on the radio, I don't know what's happening in Hollywood, and I don't know what's happening with all these wicked people, I hope and long that my kids don't know those things and are far from those things and are never influenced by those things as long as they have righteousness filled in their hearts. I would much more have a naive, innocent, pure child than to have one that is, is, is exposed to all these things and has gone and dealt with all these things and now they have experience to help combat the sin. Oh, God forbid. That's the thing I'm most scared about. And I don't want to overprotect my kids. I think, I'm speaking now foolishly possibly, but like I think about my son. You know, one day I think I'll look him in the face and say, son, don't ever drink. Don't ever go there. Don't ever deal with alcohol. You want to know why? Let me show you why. Come on, we're going to the bar. Let's go. We're going to have a burger and we're going to watch these guys get drunk. And I'm going to show you what losers really are and what they look like. And you can watch this, son, and I'm going to show you it never to be like, let's expose him. You can see, see, son, we will never come back here again because this is where wickedness dwells. And this is evil. To show and educate and help him to understand so he is not naive. He knows what it is. He's not even curious because I went there with my dad. And I know what happens there and I don't want that. And so there's got to be a balance here in life and be careful and seek the Lord on those kind of things. But you know what? I'm not bummed if my mind and my heart is innocent. Oh, I desire to get back to it. Oh God, restore to me the innocence of my childhood. Where my faith was real. Verse 36, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account therefore in the day of judgment. Wow. For by their words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Did you hear that? Your words are going to be held accountable for. Every word, everyone. What about the words I speak inside? Every single one. God is watching. They will be accounted for. And in your very mouth has the power to condemn you and send you to hell. And in your very mouth has the power to confess and believe that Jesus is Lord and have salvation. Isn't that amazing? With this mouth. Yep, you see that? This one right here. With this mouth, I will be saved. With this mouth, I could condemn myself. It's true, your mouth is extremely powerful, huh? Right now, I could cuss off the pulpit. I could start talking about wicked things right now. Blow your minds, probably make some of you 
start to laugh, you know, but afterwards you'd be blown away. Couldn't believe that I went and did something like that. And maybe I just, I mean, completely ruin my witness by saying just some dirty things, some things that are just dwelling out there that should never be talked about in the pulpit. I could really destroy my testimony right now, couldn't I? Right now. I have the power to do it with my mouth. And at the same time, I have the power to bring the words of the gospel so that some might come to salvation. Isn't that amazing? You have the power in your mouth to condemn somebody and to make them feel good, huh? You can do it. It's your choice. You can say hateful things and really ruin someone's day. Yeah, you could. Or you can encourage them, build them up, and love them and bless their day. Your mouth is powerful, and your mouth is a picture of your heart. Look at verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, they called him Master, we would see a sign from thee. They want to see him do a sign. Do a magic trick, Lord. Isn't it funny they called him Master? Are they mocking him? Hey, hey, Master, why don't you do a magic trick for us? Jesus looks at him and says this, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. He says, You evil and adulterous generation. Yeah, you, I'm talking to you. He says, There shall be no sign be given to it, the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah, in the King James, it's funny, it says Jonas. Yeah, Jonas Brothers. No, it doesn't. For as Jonah was there three days and three nights in the, in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with the generation and shall condemn it because they repent at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Wow. Many repented in Nineveh. And many will repent because of the sign that is given. A lot of people ask, why doesn't God show up and show me? Show me God. Show me God and I'll believe. The sign has already been given to you. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, three nights, so the Son of Man. So Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. That is your sign. Here's your sign. Yeah. Jesus died and rose from the dead. How much greater of a sign do you need? I challenge people on the college campuses all the time. You want to know if Christianity is true? I will throw my Bible away if you can prove to me that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Prove it. Prove it. And if I can prove to you that he did rise from the dead, you need to repent to your sin and bow the knee to God because that's a big deal. What man can raise himself from the dead? That's absolutely divine and powerful. And that is the sign given to our generation. That is a sign given to every generation. Stop asking for a sign. It's already been given to you. Look at verse 42. The queen of the south, or the queen of Sheba, shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus just said a greater than Jonah is here. Hey, what happened in Nineveh when Jonah preached? It was the greatest revival in the history of the Bible. And... When Solomon walked the earth, even the queen of Sheba came to spend time with him because of his wisdom. And and Jesus looks at them and says, don't you understand? There's one greater than Jonah. There's one greater than Solomon right here standing before you. 
Isn't it amazing how people look to all kinds of different people, Oprah and Dr. Phil and psychiatrists. And I mean, they look to movie stars. They look, I mean, they look to all kinds of different people when the one is standing right here before you. And I would encourage you, family, when you need counsel and wisdom, be careful to go to your friends first. You should probably go to the one who has all wisdom and all counsel. You should go talk to the Lord. And a lot of times if somebody comes up asking for wisdom, that's some of the first questions you ask is, did you talk to the Lord about this? A lot of people, a lot of times people are coming just to receive the wisdom that they want to hear, huh? Seen it many times. You come up and, they, and they'll tell you a story and a situation just the way that they want it so that they will receive the counsel that they want to hear. The first question should be, did you go and talk to God about this first? Well, well you know, I, I, pray, I prayed and stuff. You know, I, I kind of like, did you talk to the Lord about this? The Pharisees, they look to Solomon and they look to Jonah and Jesus is looking in the face saying, there's one greater than Jonah staring you in the face and you don't even get it. Verse 43, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walked through dry places seeking rest and find none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. What is this saying? Sounds crazy, huh? A man is there. He has demons living in him or he has wicked spirits in him. Then the spirits come out of him, and, and his house is clean. And then afterwards, it seems like seven more come and take over. What does this mean? What is this a picture of? This is a picture of the person who tries the, uh, the program or the AA meeting or the certain thing that's supposedly going to help them to get things right in their life. But it's not Jesus. Something else. And a lot of people go through different things to try to help their situations or problems, huh? You try all kinds of programs. You try all kinds of um, rituals and just different things to make something work in your life. You see people all over the world trying to do it. They have their plans and their ways of doing things to try to make their lives better. But we know this. The only thing that changes a man or a woman is Jesus Christ. It's belief in him. And so if you have a spirit in you that you don't want and you're trying to make things right and figure it out yourself, guess what's going to happen? Once you get done with that and the spirit of God does not come and dwell in you, like let's say um, alcohol, for instance. Say you're drunk. And then you go to all these meetings, these AA meetings that they make you go to because you got a DUI and they're making you go to them. And then all of a sudden you're, you're free, right? You're like, yes, I got through them, but it wasn't with Jesus. It was just by yourself going to these meetings. So that spirit is out of you. Well, guess what's going to happen very soon? Because you did not do it with God, that spirit or different spirit is going to come upon you sevenfold. Even something greater than you could ever imagine is going to come upon your life, and you're going to get jacked up even more. And you see that, huh? They get done with alcohol, and all of a sudden they're sniffing cocaine. They're messed up. It's one thing after another after another. It's filling yourself with different spirits other than the Holy Spirit, other than the Spirit of God. That is the only spirit that can cleanse a man and fill him so that he never desires anything ever again. Verse 46, we're almost done. 
While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Stood without, desiring to speak to him. Then one said unto him, Behold, your mother and your brethren, brothers are stand without. They desire to speak with you. So all of a sudden his family rolls up and we see his mom's there and his brothers are there. And um, they desire to speak with Jesus. Why? I wonder because he had just spoken to the Pharisees so crazy. I mean, just got in their faces and told them, you brood of vipers, you adulterous generation. Basically told them they're going to burn in hell if they don't repent. Told them straight up. And so I wonder if his family was coming to comfort and just like, Jesus, Jesus, you got to, let's come and talk. What's going on over here? I mean, they're going to stone you. That Those are the religious leaders. They hang out in the temple. They're going to mess you up. They try to pull him aside. And what does Jesus say? He says, who is my mother? And who is my brother? He stretched forth his hands towards his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brothers. Whoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. <sighs> Jesus says, Yeah, that, that is my blood family. That's my blood brother and my blood mother. But the truth is, who is my brother and who is my mother? He wasn't condemning his family, what he was doing is trying to show his relationship to the people. He's saying, those of you, those of you who walk in the will of my father are my brothers and my sisters and my mother. That's who I look to more than any. That's the ones I can fight in more than any. And Jesus did confide in his, in his disciples, didn't he? Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? When he is about to go to the cross, he cries out to his boys and just says, hey, can you guys just stay with me and pray? And what did they do? They fell asleep. And I don't know if you've recognized this or not, but I know many of you may not have good families. Many of you do. But what I've recognized within my own life, even though I, I know my family and I love my family and I love my dad and my brothers, I don't get to be with them all the time. And guess who is my mother and my brother and my sister. You guys are. Um, this has become my family. Those who do the will of our Father who is in heaven, that is my family. And you guys are my family. And I love being a part of the family. I love being close to the brothers and sisters of God. No place I'd rather be. Love being with the brothers. Love being here at the study. And it's amazing how the Lord works and even divinely putting that together for this night. For this night is a different night. That's a special night. <sighs> because um, this is a night, family, when uh, this is my last night here. And, uh, mm-hmm. I've been praying for a couple weeks about something um, that the Lord's placed uh, upon my heart and trying to figure out whether or not this is a good thing or not. And I turned it away multiple times because I'm like, God, I can't. I, I've been doing this study for seven years. It's been a long time. And... Um, And so I went to the brothers and asked for counsel, and I prayed. I went to the brothers and asked, you know, is this something I should do? What is it that I'm going to do? What does it look like? Um, is this opportunity that I've been 
has been brought up by the uh, the leaders of the church that I go to <clears throat> to go down and help teach and minister down in Orange County on Tuesday nights uh, with the Men's Bible Fellowship that's going to happen down there with um, with Greg Glory and with John Collins and with Mike Jonker. And uh, yeah, I told I told him multiple times like, no, nah, I don't think that's I don't think it's it. I love this study. I can't break away. I don't think it's a good thing for me. And um, I went to the brothers because I just needed counsel and wisdom. And we started talking about it, discussing it. We went around and we prayed. And um, I don't know, the more and more the brothers talk, it just they kept saying, you know what, we think this is what's best for you. We think that you should move forward in this. And they know that I love this study and they know they've been a part of this for a long time. And they've helped me to make that decision and just pushing and said, yay, nay, amen. We agree. We think this is great. Um, we don't think that you should stay and miss out on the opportunity. Um, as much as you love the study, it's like, why would you pass this up? Then I went home and asked the Lord, went on a walk and talked to him that night. And he said, you just said this to me. He said, I will be with you. You don't have to worry. Everything's going to be okay. And I discussed even further with the brothers, like, well, what are we going to do? I don't want to leave. You know, I just still, I love the people and we have such great opportunity here at the coffee shop. What are we going to do? And, um, basically came to a consensus that I think that a couple of brothers can step in and continue to minister here on Tuesday nights and um, really minister to the sheep and allow the worship to continue to ascend and allow the preaching of the gospel in public to still happen. And um, and this is something that's going to go on for, this is what it looks like, for two months at first. This will be a two-month study down in Orange County. And after we finish teaching for those two months, then they'll reanalyze to see if there's something that they want to keep going, keep doing. And if it falls out, if it's not something they want to continue on, then it'll stop. But if it is, then it'll continue on, of course. But family, I want you to be behind me on this one. I could really use the support. You know, I could really use the backing. And, and, I, and it would really make me blessed within my own soul to see you guys say, yay, amen, Josh. You know, we, we understand, we see, we are blessed by it. We look, we're excited to see um, more opportunity and to minister, I can't, you know, I'm going to be able to minister to men for probably the age of 16 up to in their 60s, 70s, 80s. I mean, what a powerful opportunity in the church. And um, and far be it from me to look at a situation and say, be selfish. It really is what it comes down to. is like, I don't want to let go of the upper room. I'm not going anywhere. I love this study and I want to be here for forever. But it's like, because you teach a study, because you've just been teaching, what other reason, why would you pass up an opportunity to go and minister with some giants in the faith and really be poured into and discipled and, and built? Why would, you, why would you let that? And so I believe it, it is the will of the Lord and something that he's calling uh, me to. And so you guys are my family. You are my brothers. You are my sisters. You are my mother, my father. And um, I, just, I just love you guys. You know, I, I never thought this day would come. Me and Rob and the guys who've been doing this study forever, just never, never a million years. You just don't think about that stuff. And just two weeks ago, I was so fired up that I got to start the New Testament. And uh, let it be a lesson to everyone here. You may plan out your life. You may try and figure things out, but the, the Lord truly directs. The Lord is the one who has planned the way. And the winds can change even in a second. And so I choo choose to be obedient and submissive and um, do what's right.
And so um, this is what's going to happen. I just want to inform you guys so you're not in the dark and it's not even uh, more of a shock and, and kind of figure out what's going on. But uh, I'm going to have uh, Rob's always going to be here, you know, still running things, helping out. And Brian's going to be doing worship and bringing a team here to do worship. And I, I got two guys. Um, why don't you guys come up, Alfredo and, uh, and Aaron Stevens. Alfredo Ramos and Aaron Stevens are going to come up. And, um, and these guys, yeah, amen. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but we've, I've been able to hang with these guys and really spend time with them um, teaching over the last, what, is, what was it? It was like probably six months. Um, Fredo a little bit less than the rest of the guys, but um, he's developed very quickly. And um, I was doing this class on Mondays trying to teach guys how to teach. Now, I didn't, I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know that this would come into play even now, but I was trying to help guys to, to break down the word and how to expound on on the gospel and always keep it about Jesus and just trying to keep the focus, the focus and, um, and, and pass this on. And so I've been pouring these guys and uh, really trying to help with the teaching. It's literally maybe eight months. It was Is that what it was, Aaron, eight months. And, um, so it's just great preparation and, um, a great opportunity. And, um, you know what, unless, uh, opportunity is given, nothing will ever happen and people can't grow, and people can't be used of God, and so as much as this is a, a, a burden, and I'm bummed, like, you're not going to take my mic, you know, like, I so, I, I so badly desire to see them grow in teaching, and, and, and grow in, in the knowledge, and as you guys watch them grow, and watch them minister, and watch them just be encouraged, and watch them go through the struggles of ministry, um, you know, I'm not going to be far, um, because I think our study even ends like at 8.30 or whatever, so I think I might be able to come over uh, right afterwards on Tuesday nights and probably see me in the crowd just kicking it with you guys, just listening, because I just want to see the brothers do the work of God and see them you know, really take advantage of the opportunity given. And so uh, Alfredo and um, Aaron will be ministering. They'll be rotating uh, week after week, and then sometimes Jeremy Fletcher will come in to minister. Sometimes Brian uh, will give a word. We're still going to have devos coming in and uh, guys giving words there, and we have special music from time to time as well, and um, I just see a great opportunity. I see um, just just a a new song coming forth from the Lord, and that's not a bad thing. Change is hard, huh? Sheep's oh, sheep's the sheep the sheep hate change, huh? Yeah, the sheep's the sheep's hate change. It's bad. <laughs> yeah, they don't like it. I know, I know. It's corny. But um, it's a good thing. I believe God's going to do great things in it, and it gets me out of the way and gives other guys opportunity. And more than that, um, I don't know what God has around the corner, but I just see incredible things, and I can't, I can't believe it. I'm really humbled at the opportunity to go down and minister down there. Could ask anybody else. So lots of great brothers and lots of great men at the church, and for some reason they said, you know, we want you to come down and minister. Wow, what a great opportunity. And so I bless God for it. And um, I want to lay my hands on these brothers. I want you to see me lay my hands on them. And I want you to see the authority given um, as they approach the pulpit, that you would open the word in the same manner and that you would receive in the same manner. That you would desire the truth and the word and the meat of God. What you're going to see from Aaron Stevens week after week, you're going to see great encouragement and exhortation week after week after week. That's what I do a lot. You see me exhort you, encourage you, rebuke you, and build you up. You'll see that. 
Malfredo, you're going to see solid biblical teaching. You're going to love the word. You're going to see things that you've never seen in the word as they teach week after week. And so you have a great meal prepared and a great adventure to endure. And um, I just encourage you, family, I get to walk it with you and be a part of it. And you better believe it, man. Anytime I get a break, I'm going to be the gape feast and parting as much as I can with the family. That's what I don't look at it as. It's not like I'm disappearing off the face of the earth. I'm still still doing everything that I'm doing. And you probably won't even miss me. I mean, it'll just be like, oh, oh, you're here tonight. Oh, it's good to see you, Josh. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Alfredo. How's it going? I'm like, hey, hey, hi. Hi, my name's Josh and Josh Thompson. And, and I actually used to be a part of this study, you know, and, and no. But um, I want you guys to see me uh, again, lay my hands on them um, and pray for them and ask God to anoint them. I think it's important um, that we see that uh, transition um, so that people aren't wondering or trying to figure out uh, what's going on here. It's very clear what's going on. There's no confusion. Okay. Let's pray. Brothers. Can I get the brothers to come up and lay hands, please? Father, oh God, do you hear us? I just thank you so much um, just for saving me, giving me life, setting me free. Um, I love this life. I love preaching your word and living for your truth. I'm thankful for your grace and mercy. For some reason, you gave me the opportunity to teach a study and see great things happen week after week for years. And I'm so blessed to have this opportunity and so blessed um, to be a part of what's going on. And, and Lord, now you're making clear transition. And you've raised up other men. You perfectly did it. I didn't know why I started that study months ago, but you knew why because you had something divinely ordained before the foundations of the world to happen for these brothers to step in and start teaching. And so, Lord, I pray that the people would receive them with gladness and that, Lord, they would recognize the authority and that they would be blessed by it and encouraged and built up. And I pray now, Father, that you would, yes, you would dump your oil from heaven upon their heads, anointing them in front of the people and that they would see that these are the men that you'll be with and that you'll encourage to give the word week after week, to be faithful, to study, and be diligent, to understand your word and communicate it correctly. Pray that you'd keep them from sin, Lord. The enemy would not be able to rip them off and strike them down. I pray that they would be faithful to minister the sheep. They would be true shepherds, true pastors over the people. They would not miss out on all that you have for them. Please, God, uh, take these men and use it. Use them for your glory. Use all that they do. And I also pray for Rob uh, with all the technical things and just helping oversee. I pray for the same. And I pray for Brian as he oversees and just really helps to delegate and make sure things run smooth. And God, just ministering to the people, answering questions. I just pray, God, that you give him wisdom on how to just oversee and just watch this thing. And I pray that these teachers, Lord, would never turn to the right or the left, but always look to Jesus. And that, Jesus, you would always be lifted up. You would always be magnified. Nothing else. The cross alone and so please um, please touch them father now give them your spirit give them the authority needed help them to walk in this newness of life and this newness with you brand new opportunity we thank you lord we thank you for being a god who cares and we can't wait to see you jesus uh, be with you forever um, i pray for the sheep lord oh god i pray for the sheep you'd bless them Oh, God, you would never let the enemy come in and sneak in this place. 
God, that not one here in this place tonight would ever fall away from you. They don't have salvation. They would repent of their sins and turn to you tonight. God, that you'd bless them and keep them. Your face would shine upon them. Thank you for hearing us, Lord. Thank you so much for all that you've done in our lives. Again, bless these guys. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, um, Rob wants to pray for me and uh, the new venture, which I think is appropriate. And so Rob's going to lift up a prayer. Father, I just, um, I just thank you so much, Lord. I thank you for this coffee shop, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity to be in public, to hear your word, to worship you, Lord. And I thank you so much for Josh, Lord. I thank you for his diligence in just coming week after week and teaching us, Lord, to worship, to lead us in worship, to to encourage us, to minister to us, Lord, to just take care of us, Lord. I thank you so much for giving him the want to do that, the caring to do that, Lord, and the the talents to do that, Lord. I thank you for Josh, Lord. I pray that you would just help him on this new adventure, Lord. I pray that you give him great wisdom for those men, Lord, that he would have knowledge for them, that he would be able to walk in power, Lord, in authority of your authority, Lord. And Lord, I just thank you once again for this study, Lord. I'm a changed man because of you and because of this study, Lord. I thank you so much for Josh, Lord. I lift him into your capable hands, Lord. I thank you so much, and I love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 So, um, so next week, yes, will be uh, Matthew chapter 19, and uh, Aaron Stevens will be bringing the word. I'm slamming it down, and if I can get over back over, I'll be here as well um, afterwards to hang. So. Um, love you, family, and uh, please um, keep the main thing the main thing all the days of your life. I just I hope that you remember. If I die tomorrow, I hope that you just remember to get alone with Jesus, man, just to be close to Him and to focus on Him all the days of your life. That's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that will ever count in life, okay? And so um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you, may be gracious unto you, and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.